This is Beekeeper Confidential, a show about the curious lives of bees and their beekeepers. I'm your host, Mandy Shaw. Today we catch up with Ange Roll, who joined me from Florida where they're caring for 200 hives. I first interviewed Ange back in late 2018, and we promised a follow-up for when their book, Radicalize the Hive, would become available for all of us to read. That day has come, and you can now download a free copy of Radicalize the Hive by visiting theykeepbees.com. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, hi. hi. How are you doing? I'm okay. (laughs) I'm adjusting to having the kids home all day, every Mm day, and Mm -hmm. doing some homeschooling, if you can call it that. Mm. Um, But it's it's strange, but I keep reminding myself that where I'm at, like I feel so lucky with the resources that I have, and we have enough food to eat, and we have a safe place to hunker down. And I know that's not the case for so many people. So, so here you are now a teacher and a full-time all the time parent and just running your business. Yes. And I've had to, (laughs) I, I had a really epic client schedule lined up for April and I had to cancel all of it. Um, so I'm glad I could still do yeah. the podcast. I'm just going to keep working on that and selling my veils because I'm still getting orders for those for now. I'm just kind of prepared to really turn into a little hermit here at home. And uh, it is what it is. Anyways, it's yeah. it's really, really great to connect with you. Yeah, same here. I know it's a, a trying trying time and a really trying moment and I feel you on the the small the small business scare like I'm just like okay right now people still want their bees and their queens and their um things I have no idea what my summer fall like speaking schedule looks like now Mm -hmm. And, (laughs) and yeah and then we've already lost I think a third of the work that we were planning for summer and fall oh wow had to shift pretty drastically so yeah just trying to you know navigate that as it comes grateful for the stuff that I know is still happening yeah um, and we'll see I mean what what happens I guess it's a it's a weird moment because my partner my partner actually left their work to work with me more full-time oh. and and so it's it's just sort of like a a bit of a shock to the system. Yeah. But we also like in doing that have grossly reduced our cost of living. Like before we did that, we started putting things in place to like reduce all of our costs of living. So it's mm-hmm. sort of a an irony that like we you know like we're li- living very small, but then also suddenly are are like oh wow now our income is you know, quartered and it's both of us. (laughs) I, I've been having really vivid, really like 
dreams that are just filled with conflict and things going wrong with and it's mm-hmm. all centered around my bees is well, I usually have beekeeping dreams like in the winter and at the beginning of the season but I've been unable to get to some of my bees or unable to access uh, them as frequently now as I feel like I need to yeah. and so I'm having dreams where I'm watching somebody else take care of my bees and it just feels Whoa. so conflicting or I'm doing the work, but I'm making a lot of mistakes and I'm damaging mm. queens and I'm damaging comb and, mm. uh, <laughs> Yikes. so your, your bees are largely, I'm sure most people's bees are on other people's property, right? So yeah, I have, and then I have some here at home. And so that's given me something, <laughs> something to sort of pacify myself with, but I have, yeah the majority of my colonies are at a farm and I can go once in a while, but the kids, they don't really tolerate being out there with me for long periods of time, which is crazy because there's a Creek and there's horses and there's trees Mm -hmm. to climb and it's a really magical place, but they just don't want to be there for very long. And then I have bees on a rooftop downtown and right. um, I just can't, I can't get out there. So they'll all swarm, <laughs> right? And make some beekeeper lucky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Did you hang any additional like swarm traps or anything in in anticipation of this as it was rolling out, or no? Well, I have the ones up here at home, but that's it. That's all I put yeah. up. Yeah. You know what's really yeah. weird though is all last year I was feeling really spread thin and really wanting to cut back on my schedule. And I, I tried Mm. to get out of the beekeeping association that I was um, president of, but that Mm. ended up not happening. I'm still on the board of directors. Mm. (laughs) And so now I'm like, wow, well, I did get my desire to have a freed up schedule, but it's not, (laughs) it's not how I hoped, but yeah 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 I mean in a lot of ways all of us have this desire all of us with any anti-capitalism inklings right have this have had this desire to slow down or make things less chaotic uh, for a while and so it's it's an interesting moment that everyone has this pause but then like how do we use it constructively and obviously that's subjective based on privilege and the access and oh, so totally. capacity and mental health and whether or not you have children at home and whether or not you're in a place that feels like safe or sane to be, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. A lot. Oh. <laughs> a lot, a lot. Let's talk about some good things that are happening though. Yeah. The last time you and I spoke must have been in late 2018 or maybe even early 2019 i feel like it was fall though yeah it feels like i was trying to remember this too i feel like it was maybe fall but then maybe the episode came out in the spring because i feel like i was getting ready for like the first trip here um, which was last year in 2019 when I spoke to you, but I hadn't actually done it, like done any part of the trip yet. Because in my brain, I'm like, it sounds like, you know, before you do a project, like when everything is still like magic and imagine <laughs> yeah. it's not like in it, like dealing with it every day, trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
um, yeah, so that was, yeah, so last year was the first year down here for me wow. full time for yeah. like the whole beekeeping season starting in February and going through April. And for our beekeepers that are new to the show and haven't heard your episode or don't follow you on social media yet, um, you're in Florida. Yes, I am. So I split my time between um, the southern part of central Florida, uh, Martin County and what's called Indian River County. Um, and then I spend my my like May through October doing bee work in the western part of Massachusetts. So those are my two bee seasons, February to April and then May to October. Yeah, and down here we do queen rearing, queen breeding, and raising. We prep nucleus colonies for folks, and then um, up north we pretty much follow the same the same calendar or schedule and do the same thing. And then we have um, you know a sort of byproduct of that operation in both places is home honey and liquid raw honey that we also sell. That's our that's our little our little operation. Um and we we started doing the Florida run last year in twenty nineteen, but I've been coming down here for two years to do research and help out friends who are in the industry and sort of figure out how to fold this into my own work. Yeah. Um, how do you integrate adding another state to your beekeeping operation? When you're not a commercial beekeeper, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's been pretty weird and wild. Uh, I have to be honest. Um, so I contextually, like, I grew I I grew up in New York City, but uh, my mom and I moved to um, the southern part of Florida when I was 16. So pulled out of high school, brought to a new state, uh, readapted, and so this place has always held sort of something for me, right? Like mm-hmm. it's got a root sort of connection. So I started the process by just researching, like coming down here, getting some speaking gigs based on people I knew, connect, reconnecting to old community and just really sort of building, like what would it look like to do this? And I have friends down here, Sam Comfort, Saka Seville, who's been doing the migratory thing for a while. So they've been really incredible and supportive in you know, helping me think through what that vision looks like. And then sort of from there, sort of having having a bare bones root system, I just took a leap of faith last year and I started doing nuke orders. So nucleus colonies are small starter colonies. Um, and people in the Northeast are really excited about it. They, you know, I had built up my beekeeping prowess in that area and people thought that I was competent enough to pull this off. And so I took half my bees down here in the fall of 2018 during the Brazilian pepper flow and then left them here for the winter and then basically came down here, camped and lived out of my pickup truck for last year. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, worked like worked part-time um, with Sam, worked on my own nucleus colonies, and then um, I have some, I do remote consulting with organizations who are trying to build like equitable and cooperative structures in their businesses. And so I did that a little bit as well while I was here. Um, And so I don't know, I guess it takes like 
some research, some knowing, some community, and definitely um, that, that capacity to move with my other work to be remote and be able to do my, my work um, has been really important because it's helped build this part of the business where I'm now able to be with my bees a lot more and yeah. for two full queen rearing seasons, which means I can make a living doing the thing that I love, you know, and so I'm able, I was able to start shifting from just teaching and talking about bees to really uh, working more in the production side as well so that I have this more robust business. So many brave steps. <laughs> So really, many. truly, so <laughs> many. Wow. And now you have an upgraded camper. You have this amazing red I van. I do. <laughs> yes, Clifford's a big red van. It's a, a Ford E350, which means that she is a very large van that can also pull a trailer. So that gives us the capacity to pull like twice as many bees mm-hmm. safely. Last year, I did all this with like a Mazda... B2500, which is basically just like a little like pickup truck with like a V6 engine that should not be pulling a trailer. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I I traded in um, we also had like a, a Toyota car and last year we traded that in and got uh, invested in a van. Did some really simple upgrades to it. So we have like upside down bucket with a really nice finished piece of plywood on top and that's our bed and all the windows are blacked out so that we can sleep in there but also transport bees in there we have these like thin air mattress camping mats that we use to sleep that are super comfy but also just like fold up and go up against the wall and yeah we we stay at a couple of campsites that are just little farms with like a couple spots sort of uh low-key campsites and the one you're at now has the adorable ponies. Yes, yes, yes. So one of the farms, one of those farms that we stay at, we since added bees to their their whole situation. And then when we do we work bees here, uh, we get the we get the pleasure of hanging out with their ponies, Noka and Wildfire, who um, have figured out that we make honey. Because I think what what oh. happened we were cutting. We're like cutting comb honey, burr comb out of hives and leaving it. And they were coming over because they're super curious and like eating up the burr comb. And so now anytime we're in that yard, they're just like all up in our business. And I've never seen any mammal be like, cool, bees. Candy store is open. And then they'll be there for a few minutes, and then once that the bees start actually flying in the air and buzzing around, them, they run off. Oh. They don't actually like the buzzing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And you did a TEDx talk too. So you've done a I lot did. since we last spoke. Yeah. So been a pretty big like year since I last talked to you. I have officially um, published and it will start going live to the public. Um, my book that is called Radicalize the Hive, um, and that book is about community-centered beekeepers across the U.S., centering sort of more marginalized voices in the industry and talking about something that I call the Radicalize the Hive Manifesto, which is just like 
where beekeeping is at and what humans can learn from honeybees about building small radical community. And yeah, right it's now. Such feels, a perfect time, I think, for people yeah. to embrace that concept. Yeah, it's really strange. It's really strange <laughs> to have written that and then watched this moment unfold and, uh, think about all of the, you know, the talk of mutual aid and building into the collective that's in that text that is all just lessons learned from honeybee hives and be like, wow, this is kind of exactly what we need to be doing right now. <laughs> um, yeah, so excited to share that, but also I did a TEDx talk about that same topic um, last December called What Bees Can Teach Us About uh, Social Change and got the opportunity to stand on stage and share that work, which was only moderately terrifying. <laughs> you have to memorize your entire TEDx talk like by heart and be able to like deliver the whole thing ad lib. And of course, because I was like writing this bigger text, it took me two months to synthesize it down into like a, you know, 14 minute talk. So I had like a week and a day to actually memorize I was going to ask you about that process because <laughs> what I know about you is that you're incredibly thoughtful and careful and intentional with your work. And so mm. I could never imagine you just throwing something together last minute. No, yeah, there was a lot of time. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> just that kind of like, there was a lot of really, you know, a lot of rewrites and a lot of edits and a lot of trying to figure out what the most authentic voice was. And then, I don't know, sort of like right down to the wire where it was like, you need to be able to memorize this within a week. It um, it just came together, and it like felt really natural, and it felt like what I wanted to say. And then memorizing it was really fluid because it felt good, right? And like up until that point, it just didn't feel... Like the time I had and the things I wanted to say were coalescing, so it was it was cool. I'm really glad I did it, and I really don't think I want to memorize my work and present it in that contest anytime too soon. What was it like <laughs> afterwards? I mean, did you obviously you probably had a great sense of relief, and you must have been so proud that you did that because it's such a huge professional step to make, but I would imagine people probably contacting you after that. Maybe they hadn't heard of you before. Yeah, so afterwards, lots of relief, definitely true. Um, and then I feel like a lot of, a lot of interest trickled in from that and people wanting me to come and share and facilitate, which is what I'm excited about. Like I really, I want to have dialogues about the human honeybee relationship and what humans can learn from bees and, and also be teaching about, you know, the production honeybee skills that I have. And so it's been exciting to have those doors start to open up and even amidst sort of COVID and, and sheltering in place, people are excited about the possibilities of the future. So while there's not any like grandiose planning going on because none of us know what the future looks like um it i feel more connected both like nationally and and regionally with people who want to have the same kinds of conversations that i want to have and learn about the same things together so 
I don't know about you, but I, I'm having a really hard time concentrating in general, everything. Yeah. And I feel like I'm having trouble keeping track of the days. And yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a weird feeling. It feels like, you know, we talked earlier about just like the slowing, the slowing down and like wanting the slowing down. But when it's, when it's actually happening, like, I think that we're just not used to moving at a, anything but a breakneck speed, you know? Like, we have this sort of breakneck, must-do-all-the-things, answer-all-the-emails, like, achieve all the the family and social obligations in a 24-hour period, and now it's like, our brains are adapting. Like, our brains are literally adapting <laughs> to a completely new reality. <laughs> Um, and I think that it's important to just like hold to hold space for that and we think about ecological adaptation like that takes generations of creatures large or small to to happen right so if we think about what our brains are being asked to adapt to in what like three weeks I don't even know how long it's been you know Three weeks ago, my partner and I were in Miami doing, I was doing a talk and we were doing like live demos. And then right as we got back up to the the area where we typically stay and where most of our bees are in Martin County, like all of this started kicking in. It was just this like gut kick, you know, because we were like, what do we do? Like, we can't really just leave. Like we have 200 beehives in Florida right now. And we can, and it's, you know, it's like, 40 degrees in Massachusetts <laughs> and it's raining every day. <laughs> it sounds like here in Portland. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so it's like, well, what do you, what do we do in that moment? And it, it took a lot of just like dialogues, like landowners, like, can we still work our bees on your land? And like, can we still camp here? And like, can we still use this resource here to figure out what people were and weren't comfortable with and then a complete shift in that. And then like the 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 sort of rollout of like canceling more recent things and figuring out what do we need to do to feel safe. Because like a lot of people are home right now and like home with their solid internet connections and their kitchens and their you know, whatever you need to sort of feel like sheltered in place and hopefully safe. Um and, like, it's been very bizarre to be living in a van in the, you know, in a rural place where pretty much before this, I wasn't seeing that many people anyway, because <laughs> these are a natural social, social distancer, it turns out. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so it's been like, do we, you know, do we just like up and go home? But the reality for me is I, I have uh, something called rheumatoid arthritis, which is like an autoimmune, like related arthritic issue. And I've had it since I was like 30 and it puts me in a lot of pain. And when I'm having flare ups and pain, my immune system is more compromised than it would be otherwise. And so going back into the weather that we'd have to go into if we went home, it's like more dangerous for me than if I like stay in place live in a van, like, really work hard to avoid, you know, public spaces, and, and, like, take really good care of myself, and take care of my bees, and so, like, the, the decision 
was sort of a natural one for me, um, but it still feels bizarre. It's like a whole, you know, like I'm doing the same thing that I was doing before, but there's this entire other adaptation happening simultaneously and a sort of vigilance, right? Like we're all sort of vigilantly like, what's going to happen? Who's going to get sick? Who's going to need help? Am I going to need help? Like, yeah. what's going to happen in my community? Like, who can I support? Who can I support? What can I do? What can't I do? Like, I don't understand the toilet paper. And my only theory is, like, is that people think that coronavirus and cholera are the same thing. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, why is it? Why do we need the toilet paper so bad? Like, I think toilet paper is one of those things that you can you can adapt to live without. Right. Especially if you're in your house. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's been, that's been a total trip to me. And I thought it was just in Florida because I was like, oh, that's just like Floridians are sort of responding in the same way that they, they would to a hurricane, right? Like stock up on your staples and toilet paper. But then I realized it was like happening everywhere. And I was like, this is a very fascinating phenomenon. Yeah. And I don't know if that's happening other places in the world or if it's just here and people living abroad or in other countries are looking at Americans and our poor handling of that mm. outbreak and citizens responding by buying up all the toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not looking great on the on the world space right we're now. We're already sure. on shaky ground, but this really um... <laughs> Yeah, this really it's probably a clincher for us. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Well, it sounds like you're you're actually in a really, really safe place to write. Yeah, I mean, we we feel good about where we are. We are going to be here beekeeping for a few more weeks. And then we have, you know, paperwork to travel interstate to take our bees from Florida to Massachusetts because we have to, we stop and let the bees fly for a day. So we usually stop at a farm, take, you know, unload all the bees, let them fly, then load them back up the next day, which kind of seems maybe a little insane from a labor standpoint, but it's like, it means we can transport more bees in one trip if we let them all fly and we only drive at night. So it creates, you know. How many hives do you, or how many hives are you going to move in one trip? Ooh, um, you, I you think, said you have 200 colonies right down there. Yeah, we have two. We've just under 200 here. I think we're gonna try to move 120. Oh. Um, and we'll we'll probably do some combinations and move, you know, 50 here. Um, Are you doing this without a forklift? So uh, everything that I work is in those small comfort hives, which is the 12 by 12 by six inch box with the 11 inch spacing and so we just move those by hand and the nukes that we do are all cipher nukes those are like the heaviest hives that i have right now which is really amusing um (laughs) (laughs) and uh those we do for our customers you know we produce them by working lines up north and bringing them down south for one winter and then expanding them in the following spring which is what we've done this this season. So those with, we also do by hand. We sort of lighten the load of them, make sure they they don't have like two and a half grains of nectar. They don't weigh like, you know, 70 pounds when we're moving them. They just weigh like 50. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so we'll bring, we'll probably bring about 120 back, which is in half, half length drops, half comfort highs. Um, and then start our, our northern expansion, but we didn't get to go home for our, uh, March trip. So I had to rely on a couple of friends to do our, our like late winter feeding because it's still winter in Massachusetts, even though people will tell you it's spring. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we, we sort of know what, what we're going into as far as our survival and, um, where our bees are at, but we're not, you know, they, it could be like full-blown swarm season by the time we get home. We'll see, I guess. <laughs> and for your book, where can mm-hmm. people find it? Yes, yes, yes. So it's being published through something called Pressbooks by the University of Massachusetts Library. Um, and Pressbooks is really cool because it's all open source. Uh, books that you can access written by professors, experts in the field. And then because they're open source, the licensing is under Creative Commons. So people can actually adapt, riff, like, like change the things that I've published, um, and use them themselves as long as they give me the original content creator credit. So it creates this opportunity for open source learning. Um, and sharing and adaptation of tools. And so the book will be available through Pressbooks is free. Um, you can read it online through their, their system or you can actually download a PDF copy for yourself. Um, it is just an ebook right now, so we won't do a formal print publishing yet, but I am very interested in making that happen and excited about making it happen. I think it's just a whole additional layer of work that needs to be its own project. (laughs) (laughs) Just get through, get through this bee season and the pandemic first. Yeah, just a couple of things, small things. Queen breeding season, global pandemic, no big deal. We'll talk about the book after that. (laughs) (laughs) To learn more about Ange, you can find them online at theykeepbees.com. I'll include links to their website and social media accounts at beekeeperconfidential.com. If you're enjoying the show and would like to join our most recent patrons, Mary Garrison and Sarah Troiano, you can visit patreon.com forward slash Mandy Shaw. Thank you for your support. I hope you're all staying safe and healthy and enjoying your time with your bees. Until next time, may the buzz be with you. Confidential is a Waggle Works production and is written and produced by Mandy Shaw. There was a guy that had a shopping cart full of toilet paper, champagne, and Campbell's soup. Wow, that guy is having a good time. <laughs>